0: Candice Savino is currently the CTO at Chicago startup Farmers Fridge. At Farmers Fridge, she leads the company's engineering product design at T and Data Teams. Prior to Farmers Fridge, Candice worked as the vice president of engineering at Trunk Club, leading the engineering and data teams. With more than 17 years of technology and leadership experience from companies, including Groupon, WMS Gaming, Encyclopedia Britannica, and IBM, Candice brings a wealth of experience scaling consumer technology platform, building diverse technology teams, and leading innovation. Candice was named Crane's Tech 50 in 2017 and Crane's Notable Women in STEM in 2020 and worked as a mentor at 18, 1871. Chicago Center for Entrepreneurship and Technology. Candice graduated with a Bachelor of Science, Computer Science from DePaul University. Welcome, Candice. Hey, everybody. This is Marina Malagudi, your host at OnBoss. Today, I have a very special guest who actually was gracious enough to uh, come back to OnBoss because our first try at this interview was how we had a lot of technical difficulties. This is Candice Savino, CTO at Farmer's Fridge. Welcome, Candice, and thank you for having me.
1: Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>
0: uh, so, Candace, we've had this conversation a little bit about this, but I, w- I would, I loved having you last time, and some of the story you told me last time about you growing up um, as a as a t- woman in tech really struck with me. Um, who was Candace growing up as a girl, and did you think you were going to be CTO of a company one day?
1: Um. Who was I? So I grew up on the far south side of Chicago, um, in Blue Island. Um, I had had a twin sister and a younger brother. Um, my dad was a fireman for 35 years, and my mom um, was a hairdresser. She did hair out of um, out of the basement of our house. Um, I was I was a very Type A person. I was very interested in school. Um, I guess you could have you know I, I was definitely a bookworm. I remember. Flying through books very very quickly, um, I was I was always doing a lot of homework. I, I played volleyball um, through grade school and, and half of high school. Nice. Um, so yeah, I was uh, I got interested in tech or just really like computers and software at the time because my father was constantly doing odd uh, jobs around around town and he was very big on the bartering system. And so I think he did, he replaced someone's air conditioner and they gave him like an old makeshift desktop computer (laughs) with like an old, you know, Microsoft, uh, you know, on there and um, OS on there. And um, I just started tinkering around. And that's back when like we were dealing with like dial-up modems and and whatnot. And so I think that's like kind of when my interest started to peak. And then um, I was lucky enough to get enrolled in a programming class in my high school. Um, and the professor was actually like an old engineer from IBM. And so I, I think we were doing like visual basic, uh, that stuff. you know, little little programs on, you know, visual basic, like saving it on floppy disks and whatnot. And that's definitely when I kind of fell in love with like the problem solving aspect of, of you know, software. And I kind of got hooked from there. Um, obviously, no one was really talking about, um, you know, going into computer science very much at the time, nor were they pushing, you know, women into the field. Um, In fact, like right, I I kind of entered the field like right after the dot-com bust. So everyone kind of thought the internet was going away and most people thought it was a bad idea for me to be getting a degree in computer science. So I entered the industry at just a very, very different time when it was was a very different industry. And, um, you know, I was, my colleagues and I in college were just like desperate to find a job. I mean, a lot of software engineers were still getting laid off when I was entering the industry. And so I was just lucky to, you know, to, to get a full-time job at IBM where I was interning my last two years of college. And so I I felt, um, I felt lucky, but I went into it because I loved what I was doing, not necessarily because I thought it was like, you know, it was a hot industry to go into or i was going to make a lot of you know money you know in fact most most of my parents friends thought i was making a horrible mistake <laughs> and that i wasn't going to be able to pay my bills because i was going into software actually which is which is really hilarious to think back on so <laughs> yeah,
0: that's, that's really yeah to 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 think that that was a thing to think about back then, and now it's like, you know, the most profitable companies in the world are software companies. I know, it shifted, also, the whole everybody, world has shifted, yeah. Everybody's in the business of software in some sort of way or another anyways, so. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Uh, I know we're great, we're, we're gonna talk about some stats um, throughout this interview, because both you and I, I think we love stats. Um, do you remember in college, um, or even in your programming class in high school like do you remember what was the split between like female male at, or in college like do you remember more or less like were you the only girl in class
1: so in high, in grade school or sorry in high school to be honest i don't have any recollection of what was going on in terms of like how many boys or girls were in that class i was like there's so many times in my childhood i look back and realize how like laser focused i was that i was so oblivious to a lot of but- that no. Up until it hit me in the face. In college, the reason I know I know more specifically in college I was a lot I was like the only woman in, in a lot of those classes because I was actually called out at one point. There was a there was a class we were that I was taking, I think it was like an algorithms class and we were um, literally sitting in class about to take the final. And everybody had their books on their desks cramming for the final. And the teacher walked through the back of the room and he said, good morning, gentlemen and Candace. And I remember feeling like really blindsided. Like, why did he just call me out? Am I in trouble? Did the test start? Am I not supposed to have my book on my desk? Like, I had no idea why the hell he called me out. And I sat there just like just very confused for about 10 minutes until i realized wait am i the only non-gentleman in the room and like I, I like looked around and tried to figure out why he called me out and that's when i realized the day of the final that i was the only woman in class what Really? Yeah. so on, obviously that was happening to me in college but i didn't really like pay attention to it until that people started pointing it out um You're- And I think about that story a lot because I'm actually glad I wasn't paying attention to it because it was a hard class and I was focused on what I was supposed to be focusing on. But then, you know, you would run into certain things that kind of like woke you up to what was going on around you. So I definitely know that that happened to me in college. Yeah,
0: what a blessing in guys is like to not be aware in some ways because if you focus too much on it, I know like I have in my experience sometimes at times focus too much on how different I am and my peers. And that has not served me well. Right. And so
1: I know I, I totally, I totally get that. And I think about that a lot. It, it's, it's confirmation bias. You know, it's so mm-hmm. it's so impactful. If you focus on it too much, it doesn't actually help you, um, which is sometimes counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a study that was recently done with um, boys and girls, they split them up into two different um, groups. And for the for the first group, they said, you're going to take a math test and we're testing the impact of eating breakfast in the morning. The Mm. second group, they said you're going to take a math test and we're testing who is better at math, boys or girls. Girls did significantly worse in that second group because they were told in the very beginning, this is to see how good you are at math compared to the boys. So that like that study just like kind of like knocks you in the face, like confirmation bias is a very, very strong internal you know, motivator and, and, and it affects your performance. And so it's like finding the balance of like being aware of it but not getting so consumed by it that it actually impacts your performance. It it it's it's a very challenging thing.
0: Yeah. Wow. So many, so many questions. So I, I wanna put a put a pin on you said you said until it hits you like there was a moment until it hit you in the face. Was that the moment in college that happened or were other moments in which you were like oh i'm the only girl again and and what did you do about
1: it um so that that moment in college was probably the most defining Mm -hmm. because i was old enough to actually start paying attention after that you know like it was probably something i looked for when before i probably wasn't looking for (laughs) um in hindsight there was a handful of things that happened in that high school class that i really didn't like fully absorb until i was older so i don't think that that really that really like hit me um there were certainly certain companies where it was very stark um i i actually started out my career in very diverse environments um mm-hmm. and this actually makes sense when you look at historical um data that shows how many women were actually gra- graduating yeah, with computer that's science that's degrees that's yeah like if a lot of people think that we were kind of coming out of this hole that that women never really came out of but when you look at how many women graduated with computer science degrees over the history of the United States, we actually peaked in 1984. We had, there was 37 percent of women graduating with computer science degrees. Then, over the next quarter century, it declined deeply. It pr- bottomed out around 17, 18 percent in 08. We slightly increased from there, but um, but that's actually very hopeful when I when I look at those statistics, because we, we actually achieved 37% at one point in time, and I think we can get back there. And I think we can surpass that. So I think that's hopeful for people to know that, like, we've done this before, <laughs> we can yeah. get back there. It's not like we're coming out of a out of yeah. a hole that we've never been out of before. But be, well, when you look at those statistics, and then you think back to like the late 90s, when I was actually going into computer science, I was yeah. surrounded by a lot of women like in my teams, like my first manager was this kick ass woman at IBM, like I my first few companies were in very, very diverse environments. So again, like I didn't get hit in the face with it until like midway through my career when I actually went into environments that were not diverse at all. And so I was um, blissfully ignorant for the first, you know, few years of my career, because I was just, you know, very lucky to walk into very diverse environments in the very beginning of my career.
0: Uh, I love the difference in experience because, you know, my experience has obviously been not that. And um, I had to find the statistics from you and from others that were like, oh no, actually there's a lot of women. Um, it just happened in different periods of times and we don't see it as much in specific in specific companies. Um what um there's actually a theory uh online that said that the reason why the the drop happened is because at that time, the computer science was actually like in the eighties, it was actually more mathematics and algorithms, which which was a different college department that women were actually more aligned with. And then at some point in the eighties or nineties, when it became cool to be a software engineer, because hardware apparently was all the rave before that. And at some point, software became the cool thing to do, and they moved software into the engineering departments, which were predominantly male. And women were not applied as much mm. to the engineering departments. It didn't become an engineering degree until sometimes during that period, and then it became mostly uh, masculine, a masculine degree.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's possible. It's definitely possible.
0: Um, yeah, and I found that like interesting, and so. What other do you have another um, maybe scenario in which you were like, oh, this is, this is, there's a difference here between like how many female are in, in tech and, and, and males. And then how did you balance out? How did you like reconcile the fact that you had, did not have that experience? And, and how do you balance the fact of being aware, but not being like overly focused on it?
1: At the end mm-hmm. of the day, you, you have to live with. The work you've done and the reputation that you've built for yourself and science so, and, and that work will speak for itself regardless of what happened around that and yeah. then um and at the end of the day that's that's what you're left standing with and so I try to focus on that when you kind of get wrapped up in all the other stuff that that happens at any job or at any company yeah and uh, and yeah just try to focus on like how do you want to feel at the end of all of this what do you want to be proud of you know and then try to really hone in on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, I don't know why it came to me this way, but it's kind of like planning for the exit strategy, um, even if you don't have an immediate exit kind of thing, you know? You want to feel at the end, you know, it may come to an end. It will will come to an end at some point. How do you want to feel at that end, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's that's really clever, actually. I never thought about thinking about the end when I got into a role, so that's cool. cool. Obviously, you held a bunch of like super interesting roles um, and uh, oh, we talked a little bit about the stats that you have right now, actually, at uh, your company. Um, mm-hmm. You have uh, quite a bit of females in on your team, you know, you, you know about what percent of your team is women?
1: Yeah, right now, within the entire tech org, we're at like 32 percent. Um, I, at a minimum, I'd like to get to, to parity, to 50, 50, um, and, and go over that if we can. Um, but yeah, we've probably increased, we've probably doubled the amount of women in about a year and a half. Um, yeah.
0: And then do you have any strategies that you may be thinking about or implementing that you find effective that you can obviously share, um, that, um, that will help, um, achieve the goals that you're looking for?
1: sure yeah i actually um helped co-author a white paper with um illinois technology association women influence chicago on this topic because i think this is something that um a lot of tech startups are grappling with especially when they don't have a, a huge recruiting team um or you know a lot of a lot of resources around them to help recruit people um I mean, I would say in the tech industry in general, especially in chicago it's it's a it's a very competitive environment, and people have a lot of choices yeah um so I mean well first and foremost, like anybody that thinks that they can just post a job description and and pray that you'll get a bunch of diverse applicants is like dreaming like that's not it, it hasn't worked till, like that in like at least fifteen years, <laughs> <laughs> and so like you need when i know it. <laughs> Yeah, it takes some work. You need to you need to have really good recruiters that are passionate about building diverse teams. You need to have really good sourcers. Um, It takes you know, you can certainly use referrals um, to a certain extent, but that's something you need to keep an eye on. Like if you have a predominantly white cis male tech team and you're you're really relying heavily on referrals, you're probably going to get more white cis men. (laughs) Uh, If you have a really diverse team that that works in your favor. Right. So you have to just keep an eye on like how heavily you you, you lean into to referrals. Um, obviously the organizations that you partner with and the areas where you look for for candidates matter a lot. Um, you know, also like internships and like relationships with, um, with universities and, uh, and colleges, like you can make some, some pretty specific choices to make sure that you're bringing in diverse candidates and you're partnering with predominantly um, you know, diverse schools, um, so that you're not always doing the the thing that everybody's always done, or you're going after your alma mater or, or you know you're going after a predominantly white um, white school, and so um, I think a lot of those um, decisions can can go a long way. Um, also like there's so much you can do with the interview process, obviously. Um, I think people lose out on really valuable candidates. Because that process is broken, I mean there's probably if you don't really ever stop tweaking that process, I think, mm-hmm. um, so making sure that people get the right education and training around how 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 you should be running an interview loop, um, defining what you're looking for before you bring any candidates in, take as much subjectivity out of it as you can, you know, make sure that you're judging all candidates on the exact same criteria and not changing the criteria depending on who you're talking to. Um, how, how how do you record feedback? How are you debriefing about candidates? Like all of that matters. Um, Mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of work. (laughs) It's definitely not something that takes like, oh, I rewrote my job description and I took out, um, comments about, you know, superstars. Therefore, like I should get a lot of diverse candidates applying for my, you know, it, it, it takes a lot more work than that. So, um, but it, it, it's definitely, um, it, it definitely works. Um also if you if you're actually capturing data um on your interview process and your the candidates um and you actually do some analysis on that data it will hit you in the face where your problem areas are and that will help you prioritize what you're what you go after first. Nice. Um yeah, oftentimes you can just apply the same sort of rigor that you that an engineer would, you know, deploy to their job or like an a b test like look at the data you know try to collect as much data as you can and then and that will kind of tell a story about where the problem areas are or what you could be going after
0: yeah Yeah, i know that what this is this is mostly uh entering the company how about promotions
1: Mm -hmm. yeah so i could i could talk about that for like an hour so something I always do anytime I walk into a walk into a company is I clearly define career ladders, job descriptions, and salary bands for mm-hmm. all of my all of the areas within that tech org. Um, I do this for several reasons. First off, it's a good way to just relevel everybody to make sure that everybody is being paid fairly. Um, mm-hmm. Oftentimes, you find pay discrepancies in a company, and it's usually never a malicious thing. It's involuntary. It, yeah. yeah. It's, it's stuff happens. People yeah. move jobs or like people aren't paying attention to salary bans or movements in the market. And there's yeah. it's very easy for those disconnects to happen, especially at early stage companies when you might not have like fully flushed out, you know, HR teams to support you. A lot of managers kind of just got anointed one day into management and they've not really been taught a lot of this stuff. So it's really important to just have those blueprints out there. So, A, people know how they can grow their career within your company, but mm-hmm. you also have a process that's going to be fair and transparent, you know, and, and you won't be, people won't feel like there's favoritism at play mm-hmm. if there's a blueprint on how they grow their career. And then there's very clear guidelines on what you need to do to get to the next level. Mm-hmm. So I always make sure that that is laid out because that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also like, I think every every manager and leader Within within a tech org has a lot of power and control to promote people, not just promote people, but like advocate for certain people to take on certain projects. You know, mm. people that might not be at the top of your mind necessarily. Um, maybe somebody that's a little bit more introverted that you might not think of immediately, but is incredibly talented and needs to be needs an advocate, right? Mm. And so I think there's a lot of opportunities. It, from that position to really like advocate for people and advocate mm-hmm. for people's growth. And sometimes that's pushing people into outside of their comfort zone <laughs> and giving them some pep talks <laughs> on what we, they can do, you know?
0: We all in yeah. there, right? We've always yeah. had that person who was like, okay, you're going to take this on or I want you to take this on. And you were like, wait, what? And then, you know, they're like, yes, <laughs> you need to do this. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, I think growth and opportunities within the company are incredibly important and making sure that, you know, you know, women are getting those opportunities, even when they might not be like the, the first person that comes to mind, like making sure you're, you're calling that out and, and asking those questions.
0: Here's a question for you that I get often from women. Uh, I think younger, younger younger women in their profession, not necessarily of age. Um, uh, the question that I get is often like, how do you advocate for diversity for women uh, without being political? Mm. Um, and um, I'll tell you my response. I want to hear, I'll, I'll tell you my response. And I'll, I'll give you that way a couple of minutes or a minute to think about what you would say. But the way I answer it, it's like how do you how do you create change without being political? It's really hard. Like for me, it's like you cannot just shy away from being political. I think it's about um, making sure that we have a balance and making sure that we are uh, we 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 can afford equality across, right? Mm-hmm. Regardless of whether we're political or not. And I think there's some 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 women. I feel like they're scared of being overly political at work. Because it makes them seem like they're being unfair. They advocate for a group that is already a minority, um, and 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 they may feel like maybe they're in fear of losing their job or you know getting in trouble because of that.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good question, um, and I've seen that quite a bit. Where like you see, you know, women or people of color kind of put in a position to like advocate for these things, um, and and then that can kind of get polarizing at the time, you know, and I've, I've certainly found myself in, in, in situations where I did not have a lot of support at the top for, you know, the, it, to make the team, make the team and the company more diverse. Right. I was definitely swimming upstream in a lot of places. And I definitely learned that I al- have also learned the hard way that there is different ways to approach the topic that might be, um, not seen as, as much as politic, politically charged. Um, at the end of the day, it's something that we all believe is morally correct. But there's different ways, um, different ways to approach the topic. Um, like the, the, the first one I would I would start with is this. And, and there's been so many studies that point to this. So it's an easy place to start. Diverse teams just are more oh. successful. Perform better, make
0: higher revenue and and bottom line impact. Revenue, top line and bottom line improvement.
1: No Mm -hmm. one's going to be against that, right? That is a common denominator that you can start at (laughs) that everyone will obviously sign up for. Um, And so there's different ways to approach the topic, depending on who you're talking to and and what you're dealing with, to get the same outcome, but kind of coming at it from a different direction. you know because not yeah because because yeah um that that can be very very effective Mm -hmm. um and especially if you're if you're working on a customer facing product you obviously want your product to be used by a a wide variety of people (laughs) not just somebody that looks like you you know and so you're you're naturally going to build a better product if the people you know working with you um but working on the product and building the product have diverse perspectives and i have so many amazing examples of of that throughout my career where i've seen like just like a missing perspective that just like surprises everybody you know Mm -hmm. like the one of the one of the recent and so i think like diverse teams just make better products and those products will be um used by a much broader population which of course ends up translating the positive um, revenue for the for, for any company, and so nobody is going to argue with that. <laughs> if you if you approach the topic from that angle, Perfect. You know.
0: yeah, I love that. Speaking of diversity, and and coming uh, into uh, COVID uh, here, um, have you noticed any opportunities from a CTO perspective? Which I definitely have as a manager. Um, uh, in, in Instagram has the opportunity to actually hire you know all over the world but generally mm-hmm. like across the U.S. You being local to Chicago, have you seen any opportunities to diversify further your 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 employees or your uh, your teams based on the fact that perhaps you have the opportunity to hire remote teams or or mm-hmm. do you have that opportunity at all?
1: Yeah, we, we've definitely started shifting our perspective of that when everybody went remote for sure. Um, there are certain aspects of our business that are very, very physical and local to Chicago. So I don't think we would ever Open up like all remote positions for like every every group in the in the org, but there's are certainly areas where it does make sense, and we have started opening that up. Um, you know the the thing that's at like the top of my mind after what happened with COVID, especially in Chicago, with what happened with Chicago public schools. Like, I do worry about the the disproportionate impact that COVID has had on women's advancement in their careers and just how they've ended up with all of these childcare issues. More so than their than their um, their partners, and um, I'm very very much thinking a lot about that and worried about that. And I don't have a solution, but it's I mean this pandemic has certainly showed a lot of cracks <laughs> in our society, um, and it and it's very concerning that you know some of those reports have been very scary. You know, a lot of the gains that women have made, you know, over the last several decades have kind of been reversed just in a, in a year's time, which is. Um, a scary thing to see. So I think we need, I think all companies need to just be very, very sensitive and, and um, aware of that and figure out what what we can all do to create supportive environments. Okay. Um, did you, how to did help. You,
0: it, yeah. Yeah, did yeah. You, were you in a situation where, did you have, do you have children? Are you in a situation where you had to manage? So I have two, I have two steps on the bare teenagers.
1: Okay. And I was very, very thankful that they <laughs> are old enough to to take care of themselves.
0: themselves, cool themselves. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I joke with my team. I I actually have got to spend a lot of time with some of my coworkers' babies, which I have really enjoyed. It makes any Zoom call so much better. I'm sure they don't feel as, as happy about the whole situation. And I'm sure I would feel differently if I had little ones running around me. Because it's it's very, very hard to juggle both. Yeah. Um I've personally enjoyed seeing their children more, but um, you know, it's so so yeah, I I have had it very um, easy compared to others yeah. because, um, yeah, they're old enough to, to to do e-learning on their own.
0: <laughs> what, a, what a great opportunity though to like really connect in deeper ways with the people on your team seeing their family, perhaps mm-hmm. even on a daily basis and really, you know, really get involved into a different aspect of their lives that perhaps sometimes is like hidden because... Yeah. Like,
1: it's been amazing. I mean, some of some of my coworkers with very small children, like they went from, you know, being in diapers to like walking around in a year, right? Like they've all, you know, kids grow so fast. And so it's been really fun to watch like that growth um, with them, you know, you definitely get a different, a new aspect. It's much more intimate, a more intimate aspect of like everybody's family life and their, and seeing their kids grow. And yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been enjoyable in different ways. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. What, what are you thinking of a leader? Like as a leader, what are you thinking? Do you have any theories about what the future of work is going to look like given this transition that we've had in the last year?
1: I think it's going to be a very long time um before like we would go back to to life as it was before covid like i don't think we'll we'll be going back 5 days a week like we did before i think it will always be a little bit more hybrid now i think work from home will always be a little like more um ingrained in our day-to-day schedule than it was before however i do think everyone is is definitely missing that human interaction that is just not something that you get over you know face to face you know, video calls. um, And people are definitely missing that interaction. Mm. Um, And so I think people are are craving some of that. Maybe not every day. (laughs) We obviously have to figure out how to do it safely, but I do think um, we need to do that. We need to open up opportunities for people to interact and see each other.
0: Nice. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you, are you planning to perhaps, do you have any plans to change, any specific plans to change your office layout, or um, what does an office where people go to idea and create versus actually sit down on their computer and work, which now they can do at home, right? Um, mm-hmm. And maybe can, they can do it better at home if you know school reopen and per, having downtime permitting, right? Um, they can do that work better at home when they tell you a little bit quieter, quieter, quieter. Um, what does an office that creates is engaging and creates relationship and culture and ideas look like in your mind. I think
1: I think you you uh, you hit on a good point. I think some people will prefer like when they need to sit down and do some deep work, I think a lot of people would prefer to do that type of work at home now and not necessarily be in a room with a lot of people and a lot of commotion because I think like that's why you know, you you saw a lot of people with noise canceling headphones in the office, because sometimes you do need to zero in and do some work and like not be so distracted. And so I think people will probably try to gravitate towards doing that type of work at home. In person work, I mean, there's definitely some, um, you know, just some socializing that needs to happen. But I think in terms of like, getting together and brainstorming or trying to like collaborate cross functionally. I think those spaces need to be big enough to comfortably socially distance or talk, have a conversation without getting crammed into a tiny little conference room. Like so many times offices are like you're crammed into a tiny little room. I think like this is actually easier for farmer's fridge because we're in a very large um, space in West town that um, has very, very tall ceilings and like really big spaces that I think we'll be able to like set that up. Um, a little bit easier than some some office buildings in Chicago probably would. But I, I think the in-person stuff needs to be big enough to spread out but also be together and facilitate some um, you know brainstorming or um, you know innovative conversations and not necessarily like being in the office when you need to
0: zone in and like get something done. Totally. Oh my god, I agree. Um, we're coming to our the end here. It's been it's been great, and it times goes fi- by so fast. Every time I have you on, is just great. <laughs> yeah, I think I have a couple of things that I want to ask you about. One of them is what is Farmers Fridge up to? I know you've mentioned in the past that you guys have innovated through this COVID. I'm super excited actually for Farmers Fridge to be doing the work that they're doing as as a local Chicago company. We don't have enough of. Really good, successful companies. So I'm super excited that they have, they've survived and actually look like they're tri- thriving now. Um, you talked, you talked about touchless, touchless um, deliveries. Oh yeah, um, touchless pickup for our, for tell our, our fridges. What yeah. else? T- Tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing, and and maybe some of the things coming up, if you can, like some.
1: Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. So yeah, like and so right when the shelter in place orders happened, yeah. um, you know, when, when the when the pandemic hit, we we uh, launched delivery, which we had never done before as a company. Um, obvious for for those of it for those people that don't know, Farmers' Fridge, we're a. Uh, um, a healthy food company and we are our original business model with these smart vending machines in um, places where you you know normally fresh healthy affordable food was very hard to find like think like airports hospitals universities schools and whatnot and businesses like office buildings as well and so when the pandemic hit i mean about 80 85 percent of our revenue was gone like within a week and so we launched delivery so that we could actually you know utilize our supply chain and our distribution team to deliver to customers directly instead of those smart fridges um, at the same oh sorry yeah, go ahead sorry i was gonna
0: say you've helped uh, a lot of uh first responders too i believe during we the- have
1: yeah, yeah, we did. We we had the opportunity to serve the North, the, the New York uh, Presbyterian Hospital Network, right as COVID was hitting the Northeast really hard, and so we were able to to you know serve food to the doctors and the nurses on the front lines, which was awesome. We actually the fridges that remained open during the pandemic were predominantly in hospitals, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um And so f- for those for those fridges, we wanted to give um, a way where people could like then that food without touching the touch screen. Because initially when the pandemic happened, we weren't really sure how it was getting transmitted. And so um, the tech team worked very, very quickly. And we basically launched touchless um, Pickup, So you can reserve a salad or, or a bowl um, at a fridge and then you can literally vend it from the app on your phone and you don't have to actually touch the fridge.
0: Wow. So we launched
1: that in the summer of last year. Um, and then we recently launched a uh, delivery in the app as well. So now from the mobile app, you could, you could order something at a fridge or you can order delivery to have it dropped off right at your house.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Anything coming up for 2021 that you can share without disclosing you know, things that you cannot share?
1: Uh I know I wish I could share more at this moment. Um the one thing I can I can um speak to is we um we have started doing a partnership with Dunkin Donuts. Okay. Um and so yeah, it's it's a uh, it's it's fun because um you know, you can go to unlikely places and get um fresh healthy food or lunch with your I coffee and your donut know. in the morning, which is which is interesting. And so yeah, I think when you look at the um, how the world has changed, like when you walk into a grocery store, there used to be a salad bar, like those those salad bars are gone. And so I think certain retailers have like a new um, need that they're looking to fill um, that I think um, brings some, some interesting opportunity, you know, to and farmer's I fridge. I
0: love the partnership with unlikely partners, like Bank yes. Business, because yeah. I feel like it may bring health options for people that usually don't have access to the options. and. I, I mean, honestly, just having the option of buying something else is amazing.
1: Yes, exactly. And like the, the mission of the company is to make healthy food more accessible and more affordable um, to people in, in areas that might be living in like food deserts. And so if you can partner with a Dunkin' Donuts, there's, uh, there's you know, many of those in those in those neighborhoods. And so I think it gives people, um, you know, a really healthy, great option. Um, you know awesome. to eat better and feed the, feed their families. so yeah, it's exciting.
0: That's so, good. That's so good. i'm I'm excited for what y'all are doing. all right here's the here's the last few questions. Uh, what is a book that you have gifted the most? or, what? or what is a book that you have either gifted the oh. most to your team or something that you've read recently and you really liked it?
1: Um, so my go to yeah. for any manager is Quiet by Su- by Susan Kane um it's about how to manage introverts um and how introverts the value that introverts bring um uh, i think our society has a tendency to um prefer you know to to prefer extroverts and so um and you you'd miss out on a lot of like really amazing talent if you were you know ignoring people with those traits and so um i heard her speak at uh, actually one of the one of the past grace hopper conferences and it kind of like blew my mind and it was very helpful i think for me as a manager to think through how you can um, foster growth in unlikely places you know with with people that you might not necessarily people that might not necessarily come to the top of everyone's mind but are incredibly huge assets to to the company so yeah yeah
0: um if there's one thing that you would want i know i i and i think you've just said it and I would love for you to repeat that if that's it, but if there's one thing that you would want your, our audience to to remember, um, and let's target specifically like women that are either thinking about going into tech or um, in tech right now what is what is that one thing?:
1: You can make a difference. Mm-hmm. yeah yes. it's, it's, it's hard to to see that sometimes, but you know your presence in the industry. The presence is making a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, We need more of us at the table. Um, Yeah. So don't, yeah. And don't give up too soon because of one specific boss or one specific relationship. Like it's broader than that. Like if you, if you truly love what you're doing and you you love the craft of what you're doing, you can make a lot of different choices um, to find the right environment to do your work, but don't, yeah, don't run away from a specific person and then accidentally leave your, Leave the, the opportunities behind and the passion yeah. as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. Totally, I agree with that one. Nice. Um, and then um, last question: What does it mean to be embossed, in your opinion?
1: I don't know. What's the definition of unbossed? Unbossed.
0: <laughs> unbossed actually, it's uh, it's a funny story. I'll tell you. Basically, um, when I started working for Jolly Vision, and I just had Amanda on actually in the past. Podcast. And oh so I, yeah! Yeah, I told, I told her this story. Oh, yes. She was she was laughing. When I started working for Jellyvision, I discovered that my team accidentally discovered because they were sharing their screen in a moment in which they shouldn't have shared um, that there was a Slack channel called Unbossed. Uh, you know, whatever data team Unbossed, and basically it was it was a it was a Slack channel for everybody except except the boss, which was me. <laughs> it was my whole team except for me, right? And I was like, damn, like. That's not the. I don't, don't want to be like that type of manager that my team cannot trust me to be in a channel. Right. We have to talk about things, uh, and and that was created before I started to be completely honest. But I don't I don't I want to be the manager that is with the conversation, regardless mm-hmm. of how hard difficult challenging embarrassing that conversation is so for my lasting career at a television i worked really 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 hard to have the hard conversations with my team and to gain trust create a relationship and all of the good stuff so that there was no so much chatter in the embossed channel and it was way more chatter in an honest and transparent channel in the main channel mm. that i was in right mm. and so that's kind of like I decided to give my podcast this title because I don't know that stuck with me so hard and was such a defining moment for me as a manager, um, and that, that that kind of like is a something that I always want to remember. Um, but it also speaks to the fact of I think of like being transparent and and doing mm-hmm. your own thing and mm-hmm. earning you know like earning yourself uh, 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 honestly, whether it's at work or in your personal life.
1: Mm hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of speaks to, um, you know, the uh, how you carry yourself, your integrity, whether you're the boss or you're not the boss. Um, Mm -hmm. And being, you know, someone being approachable, someone that you feel like, you know, you can you can have hard conversations with, Mm -hmm. but somebody that's going to tell it to you straight, you know, and not necessarily play games. Um, And that kind of goes. Yeah, without fear. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important. It's a good thing to think about um on both sides, really. Whether you're, you know, not in a management role or you are in a management role.
0: Absolutely, that's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, and this is being. Amazing having you on. I thank, wanna thank you so much. I follow you. I follow you since I started working in Chicago, and I'll continue following your career. Oh, thank I'm you. Excited thank to work for you one day or work with oh, you one day. I'd so, be honored. <laughs> so, um, ha- have a great uh, rest of well rest of the week, um, and then I'll talk to you soon.
1: Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you. Bye bye.